You're listening to Pigs in a Podcast, a podcast done K-Pig style, featuring interviews with your favorite new and classic pig artists. I've been thinking lately about the people I meet, the car wash on the corner and the hole in the street. The way my ankles hurt with shoes on my feet And I'm wondering if I'm gonna see tomorrow Father, forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven in the army but I never dug a trench used to bust my knuckles on a monkey ranch I go to town and drink give the girls a pinch but I don't think they ever even notice me father forgive us for what we must do you forgive us we'll forgive you we'll forgive each other till we both turn blue then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven fish and whistle or whistle and fish eat everything that they put on your dish and when we get Make a big wish that we never have to do this again, again, again. Oh, my very first job, I said thank you and please. They made me scrub a parking lot down on my knees. Then I got fired for being scared of bees, and they only give me 50 cents an hour. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn new Then we'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven Fish and a whistle, a whistle and fish Eat everything that they put on your dish And when we get through, we'll make a bigger wish That we never have to do this again Again, again Oh, Father, forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven We'll whistle and go fishing in heaven We'll whistle and go fishing in heaven John Prine, whistle and fish, and fish and whistle, and it's time for that. We've been promoting this all week, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Sleepy John, and it's uh, a Sunday morning at nine o'clock. And on the line, I have Mitchell Drozen, who worked with John Prine on the road and at home and every place for the last thirty years, and he has uh, granted us an interview today. Mitchell, you there? Hey, John, how are you doing? Doing fine. We're talking. You're a little low there, so talk right into the microphone, if you would. Well, I'm on a telephone. I don't have a microphone. Close enough. 
the, but the volume is a little low, but we'll be okay. So, okay. You, we, I played that one because as you and I were talking about doing this, and first of all, Mitchell Drozen spent 30 years with John Prine. Is it 30 or more? Uh, just short of 30 years, 29 and a half. All right, enough. <laughs> that was a long run. And uh, he was the road manager and uh, for many years, and then the real the other manager passed away, and many more responsibilities fell to Mitchell and uh, John's wife Fiona, and they took over and did a great job. So anyway, in talking about this, um, he was. I said, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the songs. And he says, you know, that does is done all the time, and it is all every respect retrospective we've heard of John Prine does that. So we're going to talk about a few different things, but that particular song, uh, tell us about the bees in that song. Well, John worked, uh, he was from Maywood, Illinois, and when he was a kid, um, one of his first jobs was working at a kind of fast food burger joint, and one of his first jobs was to clean up the parking lot where someone, of course, spilt an ice cream cone, and that's where the bees came in. Uh, the bees were all over the ice cream, and he was scared, shitless, excuse me, scared of uh, the bees. <laughs> yes. And so what, and that, he dropped that in the song, isn't that? Uh, Correct. So, right, that's how he was. Well, he was, and he wrote so many great songs. Um, so tell us what your job was when you were on the road with John Prine. What, did you, what were you responsible for? Well, pretty much it's like working at a McDonald's. You're just responsible for every aspect of being on the road, from the crew to the band to booking the hotels to the flights, getting from point A to point B, making sure the half show happens, settle the show, get John back to the hotel, just pretty much whatever you could think of doing on the road. And you also handled the money on the road. I did, and I booked the shows for the last seven years also. So every aspect of the, sh the showbiz side of John Prine's life was in your hands pretty much then? On the live aspect, the family um, took care of the uh, label end of it, Oh Boy Records. Right. So I pretty much was just the uh, live concert portion of it. Okay, so let's get what a typical day would be. You're, say you're playing out in Oakland at that beautiful theater that John plays at over there. What, what would the typical day be? Well, let's say the evening before we played Santa Cruz, um, what happened is we'd have three vehicles. Uh, there would be the truck, which would have my two soundmen, the monitor engineer and the front of house engineer would drive the truck with all the gear and the sound and the merchandise. So they would leave first around 10 in the morning. And then the other part of the crew, which would be me, my son who did merchandise, my guitar tech and my light person, would leave probably around noonish to get up to Oakland. Uh, we'd always want to be there before 2 p.m. for our load-in. And then John would always pretty much drive the band. He loved to drive. So the band was five members, and they would have either a big Suburban or a big minivan or something like that. And John would drive the band to the next venue, which would be Oakland, as you said. And uh, they would pull in around 4.30. We would do the sound check. And then uh, 5.30, that would end, and uh, John would go back to the hotel and take a, to always take a nap and then take a big shower right before the show. And didn't he? No, he, he would eat lunch. Um, one of his favorite things to do, especially on Saturdays, because we pretty much only work weekends, we'd always do Fridays and Saturdays, was uh, find a Dairy Queen on the Saturday. <laughs> he, loved, he loved Dairy Queen. Is that right? Well, I know yeah. he was a meat and potato guy because of... Uh, 
uh, I'll digress a moment here. Mitchell and John and I, uh, well, they wanted to go to Big Sur, and I had just met them, and at the time I had this big Cadillac limo, old one, and uh, they said, hey, would you mind taking us down to Big Sur? And it took me a long time to think about it. I said, immediately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And off we went, and we, we had two meals, and John, and during that, I learned that John really was a meat and potatoes guy. That's what he wanted to eat all the time. Yeah, I didn't like anything green. Green was not in his vocabulary or in his eyes or anything. Didn't like green at all, So except Ireland, which is green. <laughs> yes, we'll get to that part of it here in a moment also. So um, when, he, when, he was, when he got sick, did he change his diet at all? Uh, absolutely not. No, so he just went on and did that for his whole life. Well, I, but he did I, quit smoking cigarettes, uh, so that was a good, uh, good, good thing that happened with him. Yeah, but that, the song in heaven is such a great. There's a, that great line, and I'll, I'll smoke a nine-mile cigarette. <laughs> yep, and I'm sure he's having one right right now. I hope so. <laughs> and, and and the vodka and ginger ale. And some Johnny. Johnny Walker. No, he called that drink, vodka and ginger ale, a handsome Johnny. Oh. That was his drink. Oh, I didn't know. I've never heard that. That's it. And so that's all he drank, and he pretty much ate the same kinds of food every day. So that part of his life was not very diverse. No, no. Very stable in that aspect. Okay. So how about his sense of humor when not on stage? How did that, how was that? Tell us about that. Always a very, very witty guy. Always, you know, thinking about anything and everything, and always making everything funny. A little short story about something like that is: uh, many years ago, we're driving from Nashville, uh, going to I think it was Bloomington, Indiana, and we have to pass right by Louisville to get there. And it was in the evening, and uh, in Louisville, there's a pretty large hospital. Called, it's just called the Jewish Hospital of Louisville. And, you know, I'm looking up, and I'm, he's looking up at the sign on the roof saying Jewish Hospital, but, of course, the giant J was out. And I'm thinking only, you know, how could this happen? And John looks at me and goes, are you Jewish? <laughs> Do you <laughs> just speak? always had him up with certain things. <laughs> Do you speak Hebrew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or Hebrew, depending, yeah, depending on where you're from. <laughs> so um, his humor traveled with him. It wasn't just part of his work. No, no, no. Always, always witty. Uh, yeah, well, it certainly showed up in his songs, except for one of his very first ones, which was one of the most touching, and every time you hear it, it, it makes you emotional, and that's hello in there. Sure. I mean, he went the whole gamut on, on him, from the humor to the, just, the song. that song was so meaningful to everybody. I mean, I, literally, it's got me, who well, I'm an old guy myself, but when I first heard it, a while back, it uh, the very first time I heard it, it made me emotional, and it continued to. And I thought, geez, this, what a strong, strong song, and, and, and as a lot of them were, for sure. Um, another story we, you said you, would talk, you wanted to tell was a, a bit, something that happened in the Vancouver airport. Oh, yeah. Um, so occasionally, when obviously the drive, anything over 300 miles, John never wanted to drive, so it always fly it. And so it's, I have the whole band and the crew. There's probably 12 of us. So check-in normally took a long time. And John was not the type of guy that liked waking up early. So in everyone else's mind, a 2.30 in the afternoon flight is kind of a later flight. To him, that's an early flight. 
So uh, we got to the airport, and uh, I forgot that day we had the time change where we went back in time. So we actually got to the airport an hour earlier than expected. And when he saw what time our flight was and we were there at, say, noon, he was like, why did we have to leave so early? And I was like, well, we have to check everyone in, this and that. And he starts, he wasn't really yelling, but, you know, we're checking in. And he, the uh, counter person goes, I could see that you people have been working together a long time. And I said to John, I said, why don't you just fire me that we got to the airport so early? And he says, you're not getting off that easy. <laughs> And, and then there was one way on another airplane story about uh, playing cards. Yeah, so me and John love to play a game called Spades, which I assume a lot of people are familiar with. And uh, we played 10 cents a point, and as a good employee, I always try to lose, but usually end up winning. Uh, but this one time, we're flying from Seattle to, I think it was Chicago, I'm not sure exactly, and John always flew first class, and the rest of us were in coach. And um, we're just waiting by the gate, and he said, uh, could I have your boarding pass, which didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So I gave him my boarding pass, and lo and behold, 15 minutes later, he comes back and gives me my boarding pass back, but I didn't look at it again. And um, so, of course, first class gets on the plane first, and then coach starts boarding, which was me. And I went right past John, and he goes, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to my seat, 12A. He goes, you're in 2A. He uh, purchased a first-class ticket for me so we could fly, uh, play, play space <laughs> together on the plane. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, it's nice having money, but you can afford to do those kind of things. And he did a lot of things. The, the generosity of the man. I don't know if it's legendary because I, don't know, I didn't know much about it until I experienced it when we did that uh, benefit for William Strickland here where we had a... Uh, a tribute to John and a lot of the local singers and, and players came and we did all John Prine songs. And the day before, Fiona, his wife, calls me and says, uh, uh, John heard you're doing a show uh, with uh, using all of his songs, a benefit. And I said, I'm sort of nervous at this point now, thinking, whoa, what, what have I done here? And she says, uh, John would like to match dollar for dollar everything you earned. And when the show was over, we got a check for a little over five thousand dollars from John Prine, and out of no, all on his own, nobody called up and said, "Hey, would you do this?" Maybe you did. I always thought you might have been behind that. I had just told him that you guys were doing a tribute show, and it was a benefit. I think it was during your fires. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. Yeah, that's yeah, just, right, exa exactly uh, what it was. So you were responsible for that too. I sort of thought so. Yeah. so I want my ten percent. No. <laughs> my kind of guy. My kind yeah. of guy. Um, so something into going into John's personal life a bit, which you never heard much about. He kept that pretty quiet. At least it seems to me. I don't remember hearing much. And he, how many times was he married? Twice. Um, <laughs> no, he's married three times. Three times. And he has how many kids? has uh, three children, all boys. All boys. And one of them toured with him, right? Uh, not really, no. Um, so what it was, um, John had two biological children with Fiona Prine, and Fiona had a son named Jody, who John pretty much um, was the father from the age of eight on. But a good story is uh, when Jody turned 30, I think it was about three years, three or four years ago, John had always gone to Jody, well, when you want to make it legal, just let me know. And when Jody turned 30, 
For his 30th birthday, he went to Johnny and says, I want you legally to be my dad. So they went down to the courtroom, and the judge was like, uh, this doesn't make any sense. Usually when you're adopted, it's a child, and Jody's a man at 30 years old. So uh, John adopted Jody legally at the age of 30. But uh, So Jody ran the label, but uh, the boys really weren't on the road with us very often. They, when they were young, they would come out once in a while, but not very often. Are any of them musicians? They both are. Jack and Tommy are both musicians, and you can check both of them online. They're, they're both doing tribute shows, I think, every week now to the dad. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. Listen, um, we're getting a lot of crackle here. Why don't uh, I play a song, and uh, we'll do the commercial break, and uh, I'll call you back, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get a little better feed from your side, okay? Sounds good, John. Okay, okay. so hang up now. I'll play the song, and then I'll give you a call back. Okay. Thank you. That's Mitchell Drozen we're talking with. He was John Prine's manager for 30 years, and uh, a lot more to come here. But uh, let's hear a John Prine song right now. Full-blown silence in an empty room. A former bride and a former groom A folding table and a folding chair A folded hand of poker there All new directions must go everywhere Big round people in a cool little square or You can't cut it with a boat or a plane Man, it's gonna take a new train You'll be leaving on a new train Far away from this world of pain And when you look out your window you'll see Your home, your baby, and your family No melted ice cubes in a paper cup Hell, you'll be happy, you'll be all shook up The friends that greet you will be simple and plain When you step down from that new train
Friends that greet me will be simple and plain When I step down from that new train New train, new train All right, we're back, and uh, Mitchell, are you there? I am still here. Oh, good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, Quarantine like everyone else. All right. Well, we, we've gotten rid of that buzz that we had, so that's great. So, uh, yeah, you're quarantined back there, too. We sometimes forget that it's the whole country. It's not just us. It's the whole world, John, not it, the country. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Well, anyway, uh, let's talk some road stories here. Um, Tell me some of the favorite things that you remember uh, uh, being on the road with John for all those years. And there's got to be a lot of them, I would think. Yeah, it would be more than a couple of days worth of stories after 30 years. Well, but, pick uh, pick the good ones and the ones you can actually tell. Okay. <laughs> so many, many years ago before cell phones, uh, we were doing a tour called Wings of Desire Tour. It was just Nancy Griffith and John Prine doing a kind of a co-bill tour. And uh, we were in Kansas City in a hotel, and of course, this is when you use a hotel phone. Uh, my phone rings at like 7.30 in the morning, and, you know, we stayed up pretty late, you know, 2.33 in the morning usually, because we didn't get back from the venue to like 12.30, had to wind down. And it's this lady on the phone going, is there any way when you play Houston, which was the next day, that my husband can meet John because it's his birthday? And I said, it's very early in the morning, could you please just call me back in a couple of hours? And that was the end of that. Sure enough, two hours later, she calls me back and said, um, I'm back, I'm sorry to call you early in the morning, but um, is it possible for my husband to meet John for his birthday? I said, it should not be a problem. And uh, she gave me his name, which was Chris Hatfield. And um, that was the end of that. An hour later, she calls back again and says, oh, by the way, would you like a tour of the Houston Space Center? Uh. <laughs> my, my husband is a Canadian astronaut, Chris Hatfield, who uh, actually sang a John Prine song in space years later. And I said, wow, well, let me ask John. And John slept late. You know, John never woke up to 1130 noon. So this is only 1030. So when it was time to wake John up, I said, hey, do you want to go to Houston Space Center? He goes, well, you know, I don't do anything in the mornings or afternoons. And how are we going to do that? And I says, well, I'll call her back. I call her back, and I said, is there any way to do an evening tour of the Space Center? And she says, yeah, we could arrange a private tour for John. That won't be a problem. So once again, we hang up the phone, and now John's up, and it's time for us to take our commercial flight uh, to Houston from Kansas City. She calls back again and says, actually, my husband and an Italian astronaut need to get some airtime, and they're not allowed to use the NASA jets. Is there any way we could pick you up in a private jet? And at that, this point, I decided not even to ask John. I'm, I'm sure he's going to go for it. And uh, so these two pilots, one being Canadian and one being Italian, pick us up in this private jet. John buys everyone White Castle for the plane, which sunk the whole plane up. <laughs> you mean the hamburgers for those yeah, on the West right, Coast yeah. don't know what White Castle yeah. is. <laughs> exactly. West, yeah. The deli bombers, not the best hamburgers. No, Anyways, no. <laughs> and... Um, so we got a private plane to take us from Kansas City to Houston and then proceeded to go to a bar to have a couple of cocktails. And around 8 at night, we got a private tour of the Houston Space Center. And this is back, up, as I said before, phones. So me and John bought two of those back then. They had those 
fluorescent cameras you could buy. They were like cardboard box cameras. Oh, right, right. Throwaways. Yeah, throwaways, exactly. And when we started getting the tour, it was was kind of boring, but it was okay. But then we got to our favorite part of the tour was the toilet simulator. And what that was was a little room (laughs) with a toilet in it. And uh, what happened was because, you know, you're in space and gravity, and uh, we're noticing everything is Velcroed to the wall. That's the way that state, things stayed in place on the, on the space shuttle. And we noticed there was a spatula on the wall. And we're thinking to ourselves, uh, we both are understanding what this is about. So what happens is pilots have to line up. Um, I don't know how to say this. When they're making a number two, they have to learn how to line up properly on the ball. So in the simulator, there's a camera. And while you're sitting there, they have these two clamps that go over your thighs so you don't float away. (laughs) Never thought of any of this. This is great. Right. And and then there's a monitor to make sure that your hole is lined up correctly with their hole so it goes down the hole. And we just, out of this whole amazing tour, we had this space, and that's the one thing we never forgot was the toilet simulator tour. (laughs) I've never heard that one either. That's that's just a, a really great story. Um, on John's first album cover, he's got Steve Goodman and his wife and his Steve Goodman's little daughter, and they're all in, I guess, at Steve Goodman's house. And then also on there is Marvin Gardens, later known as Jimmy Buffett. What was that connection for with uh, uh, John and Jimmy Buffett? Was that also the picture that Bonnie Raitt also, or no? I don't think so. No, I think it was one of Steve's very first albums. I. Uh, Honestly, John, I can't answer that question. Before my time, I started in 91. Okay, yeah, this would have been in the 80s for sure, maybe even the 70s. I just thought, I know his lifelong connection with Steve, and to this this very last show, I would imagine, he always says something about Steve. Yeah, uh, every Father's Day, he would play a Steve Goodman song called called My Old Man. Right, I love that song. song, It's a great song, yeah. He always thanked Steve every day. Steve was a big part of uh, John making in this business. Oh, yeah, he's the one that got Christofferson to listen to him, and I've heard that story. You right, yeah, him and Paul Anka. What's that, uh, who? Oh, and Paul Anka, yeah, right. Correct. So, uh, anyway, did, but he and Steve remained close friends till, till Steve passed? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Steve was before my time, so I never got to meet Steve, but John always told me some great stories about the man. You yeah. know, I met his family and his daughters, but I never got to meet um directly. No, I, I got to see him once and he was just such an entertaining guy. Well, it was a great combination and, and that, you know, keeping him in mind, in his mind and in the public's mind is also says what kind of a, a guy John was. Who were his friends, uh, his pals that he hung, liked to hang out with? Well, he had his, his natural buddies that um, he hung out a lot of this is before Fiona, obviously, and then things kind of mellowed out a lot for him. Um, Keith Sykes was always a good friend of uh, John. Still is, well, still is in, in memory, you may say. Um, Keith wrote a lot of songs with Jimmy Buffett, as you were talking about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Cook was another really good friend of John's who uh, wrote the Coca-Cola song, I, you know, I Like to Be. Um, oh, I can't remember I like the world to know, or that one, that big. Right, yeah. right. So that was Roger Cook, who was a great friend. Um, he also, uh, uh, Cowboy Jack Clemens, who was a very famous producer back in the day, was a really good friend of John's, who another big Nashville friend of his. 
Um, everyone loved John. He didn't have any enemies. He just had friends. Well, yeah, and there was certainly seemed to be a lot of them. Uh, I know recently uh, you guys took Ramblin' Jack Elliott out with you. John loved Ramblin' Jack. Even though Ramblin' Jack wasn't known as a songwriter, he just loved the way that Jack told stories. And they were friends from pretty much the first year John started to when John passed. Yeah, John loved Ramblin' Jack. We'd take him on the road as much as possible in California. Yeah. I, I, actually, uh, we met him for the first time. Well, I met him the first time. Was that actually one of the K-Pig festivals? Right, right. Down, down in Aptos Village Park. Right. That goes back into the 80s also. So, um, and now you also gave a lot of people chances to open. He liked to seem to like to do that. A lot of uh, people, when they they get to the level that John was at, that might want to make it an evening with and never give a a new player a chance to be seen. But John didn't seem to do it that way. Yeah, John liked to always have a warm up act or a support act, and uh, gave a lot of people a start in this business that are doing very well to this day. Uh, for example, Iris Cement was one of the first. Right. Let uh, me let me stop there for one second. How in the world did he get? Uh, Iris to sing that duet with him, the one where it says, I caught him sniffing my undies. I just can't imagine Iris saying, oh, I'd love to sing that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny story because um, when that song came out, we were doing TV, and I think it was back then, you know, it was the Letterman show, and that's the song that they're going to sing on the radio, and Iris was quite embarrassed to sing that, you know, on TV, obviously. And and then anyone that she calls, she calls my wife uh, to ask what my wife thinks about this song as a woman. Like, you know, is, is, is this offended and this and that? And my wife, who's a homemaker and, you know, raising children, goes, you know, you're asking the wrong person, but if you just want a female aspect, I think it's a great song and do it. Um, but to make it even a story a little longer is when uh, we uh, decided to make a clean-cut version that Iris could send to her mom, though. We, <laughs> yes. we edited it a little bit, so uh, Iris's mom got a cleaner version of the song. She like, and, uh, the, day, did, did the bunny ahead. disappear in that, too? <laughs> the, 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 she likes to get it on like the Easter bunny. <laughs> right. I, don't, I never heard the, the the clean version of that song, even though, you think about it, it's, 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 it's just a really funny song. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so um, anyway, they sent it off to his mom or her mom. Right, just a, a clean version that they edited a little bit so her mom could hear the song. But uh, obviously, uh, that song to this, you know, to his uh, last day on the road, everyone always requested that song, and one of the number one wedding songs also was "In Spite of Ourselves." The, the, I'm sorry, say that again. The what, number one wedding song. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people getting married love to use "In Spite of Ourselves." No. <laughs> yeah. I would have never imagined that. Oh, and that's then, that's great. That's great. And, and then going the other way, Please Don't Bury Me is a very popular song to get buried to. Oh, well, that makes sense there. But I don't know. His, uh, the, the Irish John song is, makes, doesn't make as much sense anyway. Um, so and I know that other women did that song with him on tours and, and on television and things like that that would like to do the duet with him. Yep, a lot of performers like to sing in spite of ourselves and Angels from Montgomery. For females, those are the two most popular songs to do as duets with John. And and Bonnie Raitt and John own that song together. That is just such a great great version of that song. 
It's a good one. And did Bonnie come and play with him in, in, in the last? Uh, um, I might have not. You know, they're always on tour at the same time, so the schedules. You know, over 30 years, maybe five times I saw them together perform, and that would be John going to her show or vice versa. But they never. The only tour they did together is when I first started uh, in '91. They did a tour together, but other than that, they they went their separate ways. John John was getting bigger, and so was Bonnie. Boy, they both they both exploded, and uh, it was great because they both was would do were doing uh, uh, hardly strictly bluegrass. Uh, so hardly strictly bluegrass and those kind of festivals where you, you get an hour, and that's it, or fifty minutes. Did John like to do those, or was that some some of the people don't actually like to do that? They want to do their show, and they can't really do their whole show. Well, he had two points to that, uh, John. Didn't like to work too hard. So for festivals, it's really easy because there's no sound check, obviously, because it's just band after band after band. So, right. And that way, he was happy about that because there's a lot less work. But uh, when once he hit the stage, John never wanted to leave the stage. He would normally play over two hour sets, which is pretty amazing, even when he started getting uh, older and not in the best shape. But so you're right. Uh, with festivals, you have a certain amount of time. So he pretty much stuck to a, a set list when he had to do festivals. And, well, yeah, you sort of have to do that, or somebody down the line doesn't get doesn't get their set. Yeah. And or, or the hook comes out. The, hook the comes big out. hook comes out for sure. Did you now? When you well, let's do this. Uh, it's time for us to take a break here. I'm going to play uh, another one you suggested we play is "Let's Talk Dirty" in Hawaiian, which I have the uh, green and red 45, and I guess that's the only yeah. way it came out. And yes, that's correct. And is Kokomo is on here also? Is that the only time, only place you can find it? Yeah, that was another funny song. Yeah, uh, I think so. All right. Well, that's good to know. Well, Mitchell, can you you hold on? It'll be we'll play we'll the do. song. Have to do some commercials, so you, we'll have about oh seven eight minutes here. So, you hang on, and uh, we'll play the song, and uh, be back with uh, Mitchell Drozen here in just a couple of moments. and bought myself a ticket for the land of the tall palm tree Aloha, old Milwaukee Hello, Akiki I just stepped down from the airplane When I heard her say Wacka, wacka, nuka-licka Wacka, wacka, nuka-licka Would you like a lay? Hey, let's talk dirty in Hawaii Whisper in my ear Kikapukamakawawahini Are the words I long to hear Lay coconut on my tiki What the heck a mooka mooka dear Let's talk dirty in Hawaiian Say the words I long to hear It's a ukulele Honolulu sunset Listen to the grass skirts sway Drinking rum from the pineapple Out on Honolulu Bay Steel guitars are playing While she's talking with her hands Gimme, gimme, okadoka Make a wish you wanna poke her words I understand Hey, let's talk dirty in Hawaii 
a whisper in my ear. Yeka puka makawawahini, got the words I long to hear. Lay your coconut on my ticket. What the heck a muka muka did? Let's talk dirty in Hawaiian. Say the words I long to hear. Well, I bought a lot of junk with my moolah and I sent it to the folks back home. I never had a chance to dance a hula. Well, I guess I should have known. When you start talking to the sweet wahini, walking in the pale moonlight, open oh, open what I said, a knockaraka system back as hope I said it right. Oh, let's talk dirty in Hawaii, a whisper in my ear. We're back in the studios, and we have on the line Mitchell Drozen. And Mitchell's in North Carolina. How you doing, Mitchell? Thanks for hanging in there for, with us. Doing great, and happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. That's right, it is. So tell us, uh, uh, you. that's another song you uh, you said you really like, with Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaii. And you got any stories on that one? Uh, not really. Sorry. Nope. All right. <laughs> it's the trouble with Mitchell. He doesn't dance, doesn't mess around. Nope, can't help you there, buddy. Uh, next question. Uh, Fiona, his wife, tell us a little bit about how he met her and, and, and his living part-time in Ireland. Yeah, so John loved Ireland. It was one of his favorite places to perform, and I think the country kind of adopted him. And we go there quite often, and... Um, they met in 1987, so this is before I started. Fiona actually was in the music that she managed a recording studio in Dublin. And Fiona's mom was a big John fan, and uh, they went to the show. And after the show, they went for a drink, and lo and behold, who's at the same bar but John Prine? Uh-huh. And that's how they first met and um, started a relationship. And eventually... Um, got more serious and then she moved to the states with her son jody who might have been seven or eight at the time and they just hit it off from then on and uh over the years uh, they had the two children jack and tommy and then when uh, john's manager passed away i think it was 2013 or 14 she kind of became or did become john's personal manager and then her oldest son jody took over the record label which was old boy records right who else is on that label now? Is anybody besides John and Steve Goodman? Um, yeah, there's a girl named Kelsey Walden that's on the label, and they just signed another artist who I'm not sure of the name. And there's also an obscure artist that uh, we, we just love to have on the road with us occasionally, a guy named Dan Reeder is his name that's on the label. All right. So giving some new people a chance, a chance at things. Um, yeah. 
we're sort of getting short on time here now. In, 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 any stories that, that you'd like to tell of uh, either on the road or personal things or whatever you think might be a nice, a nice yeah, story? Yeah, a good way to end this would be the last story I had with John, I guess, uh, which was in Paris. Um, John loved to go to Paris, especially when he lived in Ireland. It was a hop, skip, and jump to get over there. He just loved Paris, and his favorite hotel was a hotel called George Sank. This is one of the most expensive hotels in the world. <laughs> nice. And uh, when we were doing our last tour in February there, uh, before that happened, he goes, I want to play Paris because I didn't have it on the calendar. And he goes, I went to him. We really can't play Paris because we can't draw there and we can't make any money. We got 14 people on the road. It's impossible. Uh, and he goes to me, no, no, no. Read my lips. I want to play Paris. It's on my bucket list. I called a bunch of promoters up and everyone said no to Mr. Prime because they knew how successful he was in the States and in Ireland and England that it just wasn't possible. And I actually called AEG in the States and uh, who he used as a promoter a lot. And uh, they were able to get me a show over there in a venue called Cafe de Danse, which was a 500 standing room club. And that became John's last show that he performed ever, which Coincidentally, enough, that was uh, on his bucket list. Is that right? That's now. That's really interesting. The, the very last show was in Paris. I didn't know that either. Yeah, to only 500 people, which I've never seen ever. And why was there such a small turnout? No, it sold out. That was the capacity. Oh, that's oh, oh, oh. Okay. The promoter, the promoter said that's all that John will draw in Paris was 500. And uh, it, it, it sold out maybe two days before, so they were right. And, you know, John loves hotels. He loved big suites. He loved whining and dining with room service. So besides being the last show he ever did, which was on his bucket list, um, he stayed at his favorite hotel on the road for the last time, which was George Stank Hotel, which he loved to stay at. All so, right. Did you get to stay there? He, said he got to do his last two things at his favorite places, being Paris and George Stank at his hotel. Oh, that's great. Did you get to stay at the hotel? Uh, no. No. <laughs> we were at George the 50th. I say yes. <laughs> Down the block, a few blocks. Yeah, about five miles away we were from, yeah. we. Uh, so the band, that, when uh, Fiona started going on the road with us, uh, John and Fiona would stay a lot nicer hotels than the band and crew. But well, it worked but, out well. Yeah, that's that's the way it is. And, and mostly if you're making the money and you're paying the bills, you get to you get to do that. Uh, That's right. So before we wrap it up here, Mitchell Drozen, uh, you're going to you're looking into doing some tribute shows with uh, some name folks to to do a little tour. Is that correct? Right. Well, yeah, we are. But unfortunately, due to this virus that we have, that everyone knows about, uh, the entertainment business is suffering the worst because there's no way of doing live shows social distancing wise. So we're not planning to do anything until we actually get a vaccine going and we're back to normal. Um, it's just too no one knows what's going on yet. But yeah, uh -huh. when people are allowed to gather again, we're definitely going to do some tribute shows. And hopefully I'll get to do, I have a show coming up in your town with Greg Brown on January 16th. Right, that's correct. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Greg came out of retirement. He did. <laughs> it didn't last long, did he? <laughs> that, was well, a, that was a short retirement. 
It'll be over a year by the time we get to perform again. All right. Well, Mitchell Drozen, you have been a joy to talk with, as always, and I'm so pleased that you could share these stories with us. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you in January, if, unless we bump into some, see, see you someplace between there now and then. Sounds good, John. All Great right. Talking. Great talking Thank with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mitchell Drozen joining us uh, 30 years with John Prine. We'll play one more John Prine song for you here, and uh, then we'll get into Please Stand By. I wish, I hope, I wonder where you're at sometime. Is your back against the wall or just across the line? Have you been standing in the rain, reciting nursery rhymes? Trying to recall some long lost kind of peace of mind, peace of mind. Try spending the night sometime, all alone in a frozen room. After need you blame, you settle in the rain. I got up down in my basement And he waited there for me To have this accident So he could drink my wine And eat me like a sacrament I just stood there like I do Then I came and went I came and went Like a bird before in the sky I couldn't even say goodbye I come and share the pain My saddle's in the rain If I'm his friend just yet His eyes and the mouth were widely open And his jaw was set Like he'd fell off a cliff And hadn't hit the bottom yet I wish he wouldn't pull those things on me Without a net, without a net I had him up to the house one time But we was having a real good time And then he went lame He settled in the rain From the Alamo Since the girl who stole my records Very long ago And she wishes Once and washes out those dirty clothes As she shuts her eyes And dreams about a one-eyed Joe One-eyed Joe The car parked on a dirty road Heaven knows the load she pulled Couldn't take the strain To settle in the rain
Thanks for listening to Pigs in a Podcast. Check out the entire archive on kpig.com. Follow us on Facebook to find out about new interviews as soon as we post them, and subscribe to us in iTunes, and you'll get the newest interviews as soon as they're ready.